0: You're listening to the Midnight Movie Snack Podcast with Chris and Garrett. Hi, this is Chris with the Midnight Movie Snack Podcast. And this week, we've got a bit of a double feature uh, with this episode. Um, Garrett will be joining us in just a little while. Uh, But for the first part of this, it's just going to be me. I'm going to be doing solo. Um... We're hoping that um, our schedules will allow us to do an episode where we're both on the same Zoom call or you know both together recording live. But for this week's episode, we had to change it up a little bit, uh, and so you're going to hear from Garrett in just a little while with his thoughts on uh, Silver Bullet and our uh, venturing out to Alamo Draft House a few weeks ago to see Silver Bullet. Uh, finally, on the big screen, uh, after all these years. But before we get to Silver Bullet, we're going to kind of go in reverse order, and I'm going to talk about this week's movie, which I actually also got to see at Alamo Drafthouse this past Tuesday, although uh, Garrett wasn't able to uh, join for that one. Uh, But uh, we're going to be talking about the 1980 horror movie from director Louis Teague, starring the late great Robert Forster, and that is 1980's uh, Alligator. It was also written uh, by John Sayles, who is quite possibly my favorite screenwriter-slash-director of all time. Uh, I have a lot of respect for John Sayles in that his approach to the business, um, I think, was really smart, in that he would uh, write screenplays for movies like alligator and he also wrote uh, the screenplay for piranha which was a couple of years before alligator and he would take the money that he made off of those scripts and he would use it to finance his own film projects and in some respects john Sayles is kind of the king of independent filmmaking he did a lot of uh, these small budget kind of small films that were just really great. Um, I think the first film that he did was called The Return of the Sakaka 7. He also did Brother from Another Planet. Uh, He did uh, Lone Star. And I think one of the last ones I ever saw of his in the theater, um, I think this was the last one, was one called Men with Guns. Uh, So, great screenwriter. So, Alligator, for me, kind of hits all of the right notes. It's got a great director in Louis Teague who went on to direct uh, Cujo. He also directed Cat's Eye, which was actually shot here in uh, my home state of North Carolina in Wilmington back in the 80s. That was another uh, Dino De Laurentiis uh, project of one of many that also starred Drew Barrymore, who was in another Stephen King related uh, property, uh, Firestarter also shot in North Carolina. So, um, Lewis Teague, I think, is you know one of those directors that um, he knew how to create an entertaining film. I don't think he ever really got the recognition that I think he was entitled to, but he made some really good films. And Alligator, even though it's low budget and watching it Tuesday night, I was reminded about some of the special effects in the movie and you know, the low budget quality to it. But what I like so much about Louis Teague and Robert Forster and John Sales is that even with low to no budget, they were able to pull something together that was very entertaining. And I think that's, in my opinion, that is exactly what Alligator is. It is an entertaining movie. Um, I know when I was a kid, I would have said it was a horror movie. I think it's still kind of a horror movie, but uh, for a movie that came out in 1980, it was rated R uh i definitely think if it came out today it would probably be a very mild pg-13 at best but uh, this was a movie that uh, like a lot of movies in the 80s growing up as a child of the 80s 70s and 80s uh, i didn't get to see movies like alligator in the theater Um, my parents were pretty strict about movies uh, certainly r-rated movies and uh, so I only got to see Alligator for the first time on, I think, network television. It wasn't even cable. Uh, I think it was on network tel- television, and uh, it definitely, for I think I was eleven at the time, ten or eleven, uh, it definitely um, gave me some some <laughs> some nightmare material. Uh, there's some scenes in the movie that uh, definitely can um keep you up <laughs> so um and i was talking earlier this week with um some folks on instagram live i think it was abc cinema was talking about the there's a particular scene in alligator that involves uh, a group of kids in a swimming pool and a diving board and uh and the alligator who happens to be kind of resting in the swimming pool and if you haven't seen the movie i'm not going to spoil it Although, if you haven't seen the movie, please, it will not hurt my feelings if you pause this episode right now and go find it and watch it. It's definitely worth your viewing, especially if you like movies from the 80s, especially if you like horror movies from the 80s. Uh, And for me, personally, it's if you're gonna do a double feature, if you're gonna talk about two movies, I think that uh, Alligator and Silver Bullet are a good combination. I would go to a movie theater if they were showing this as a double feature. Uh, it's a good uh, collection, uh, a good pairing of uh, of two films that I think you know by today's standards, <clears throat> today's standards you know might seem a little dated or special effects might not seem that great, but it is it's got a lot of charm in in different ways. So, uh, as I was doing research for uh, Alligator, I was, uh, there was one piece of information that kind of blew me away. So, uh, as I mentioned, you know, the lead actor in this movie is Robert Forster, and Robert uh, is probably best known for playing Max Cherry in uh, the Quentin Tarantino movie, Jackie Brown. He was the bail bondsman. Uh, He was nominated for an Oscar for that role, and quite honestly, I I think he deserved it. He should have gotten it. Uh, But he is the lead character in this movie, and he just brings such a a, a level of believability and realness to the role. Uh, And he's just, in my opinion, a great actor. I was fortunate that I got to see some interviews with him before he passed away a few years ago, and uh, I got to see some of the last films that he did, and... um, Just an amazing man, uh, amazing legacy that he leaves behind. Uh, But what's interesting is he was also in Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul and the Netflix movie uh, that came after Breaking Bad, uh, El Camino. And for those of you who don't remember him, he played what they called the Disappearer, the guy who would help uh, Walter White and Saul uh, Goodman and Jesse Pinkman give them new identities and kind of drop them off somewhere where they could live a, a different life. Uh, that was one of his last roles, Robert Forster's. But what's interesting is when Robert Forster passed away, Brian Cranston uh, paid tribute to him on social media and shared that he was, Brian Cranston was a production assistant. I think he also assisted with some of the special effects, but he worked on Alligator. Uh, and so um, I think he got to know Robert Forster through, through Alligator. And uh, I think they definitely, um, when Forster came to Breaking Bad, there was an opportunity for them to kind of bond over uh, the fact that uh, they worked together um, back in 79, I think it was. And that was early on in Bryan Cranston's career. As I said, this was a production assistant role. So I think he was just starting out uh, before he actually... Was able to start acting. So, uh, Alligator is uh, holds a special place in in my heart just because uh, it was along the wave of movies that were kind of knockoffs of Jaws. And if you've spent any time listening to this podcast or following the podcast on Instagram, Jaws is quite possibly my favorite movie of all time. I think it is probably the most perfect movie that has ever been made. Uh, There's just, it, it just hits all the right notes for me. And so when Jaws came out in 75, huge hit, like kind of the birth of the blockbuster. And other studios started cranking out these kind of monster movies of sorts, you know, where it was some sort of, creature in nature whether it's orca or you know we have an alligator or piranha or barracuda there I mean there were all these movies that were kind of trying to cash in on Jaws's popularity and by the time that alligator and I would even say piranha which is a movie I'm hoping we'll cover on the podcast sometime soon but those two were kind of at the tail end of the Jaws craze at least uh, I say the tail end Jaws 2 came out in 79. It kind of sparked things even more. But in my estimation, (coughs) Alligator was one of the last movies of this kind of genre before things really started to pick up with Friday the 13th and the Halloween movies and uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. And so (coughs) what's fun about Alligator is that usually movies in a genre like monster movies By the time they get to, they kind of run out of steam, they've almost become kind of a a joke. And Alligator is not a joke, although it does have a sense of humor, and it does play around with the conventions of the monster movie. Um, There are a couple of scenes in the movie, I won't give them away, but you'll know them when you see them, that are just these little, not a wink to the audience, but it's just putting something out there that the director and the writer are going to get a laugh, or the actors are going to get a laugh out of it. Um, It doesn't take itself too seriously. Um, There's a lot to, to kind of mull over with this movie. The one thing that stands out watching it this past week is that, so the movie is supposed to be set in Chicago, but there's signage everywhere saying that it's Missouri. And they talk about, other cities in missouri like st louis being like almost like it's in close proximity but the movie was shot in los angeles so make of that what you will <laughs> but it was kind of funny when uh, there's scenes where you know they're talking about chicago or they're talking about the city and then you would see scenes with robert forster driving and he's out in the countryside <laughs> so um well clearly it's southern california um so yeah there's some some kind of fun there with the locations not being quite on point even though they say it's it's uh, Chicago it doesn't look anything like Chicago um, and of course I think this was at a time where the kind of accuracy with locations was especially with movies of of this caliber, the kind of budget that alligator had it was kind of like okay it's it's Chicago it doesn't look like Chicago, but just go with us on it uh, and so. Um, that was something I noticed watching the movie on Tuesday. I don't think I really had noticed before. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with Alligator, uh, I think everything I've said up to this point probably gives you an idea of what it's about. But the the basis for the the movie is actually something that John Sales, I believe, came up with. And he developed um, with another screenwriter, uh, Frank Ray Perilli. In fact, Perilli, I believe, wrote the original draft of the screenplay, but John Sales read it and then he, he just ditched it and wound up changing it because I think the original script was set in Milwaukee and that uh, the premise was that the alligator had gotten big in the sewers because of uh, beer spill off from a nearby brewery going into the sewers. So I'm just thinking, well, you're going to have a fat alligator, but I don't know if you're going to have like a big alligator that's a threat. Um, instead, Sales decided to kind of change things up and make it a little more serious. And so he took the urban legend of how, you know, back in the day people would either go to Florida or they would send away for having a a baby alligator, like an actual baby alligator that they would put in an aquarium or put in a tank and raise. And then when the alligator got a little too big or started biting, they would flush the alligator down the toilet so sales takes that premise and mashes it up with a little bit of science fiction where uh, in this story so the alligator in question uh, the kind of the the star of the movie uh, gets flushed down uh, a toilet Uh, in fact what's interesting is the the alligator belongs to the female lead that we meet later on in the movie played by robin Riker, who Um, was one of those actresses, I just have to mention as an aside, uh, Robin was an actor that uh, I would see quite often on television and in movies, and I always thought she was just an amazingly beautiful woman. Uh, Alligator is the first movie, I believe, that she did. Uh, So she's very young in this, and it was just really great seeing her uh, on the big screen in this movie. Um, She and Forster are pretty good together. They've got some good chemistry. But anyway, her character... Uh, had gotten this baby alligator, and her dad flushes the gator down the toilet. It survives, somehow, miraculously, in the city sewers. And a few years later, there is this laboratory close by that is basically testing growth hormones on strays, stray animals. And they're in cahoots with one of the pet owners, pet store owners, who's kind of a little shady, Uh, He's getting a little, you know, money from the labs. So he'll take these discarded animals that have died from experimentation and dump them in the sewer. And so the gator starts eating these animals that are all shot up with these growth hormones. And then it starts getting big and it starts to develop a taste for human flesh and a pretty voracious appetite. And so... um, it follows the kind of typical model of, you know, jaws where the main character believes that there's a monster down in the sewers, killing people, the authorities and people don't believe the person until it finally shows up and it's a bit bigger than life and it starts eating people. So that's what alligator does. And it does it, like I said, with a, with a certain amount of humor and, uh, some, some low budget charm as I would put it. But, um, yeah, this is uh, a really fun a uh, fun movie. Uh, it's got some familiar faces in it. Of course, Robert Forster that I mentioned, Robin Riker. Um, there's a young Perry Lang uh, who appears as a, a police officer who sadly meets uh, an unti- untimely demise. Uh, Henry Silva, um, who played bad guys in the 70s, uh, is here as a professional hunter. Uh, who (laughs) unfortunately doesn't really get a chance to hunt. Uh, And then uh, there's some other folks in there. There was one name that jumped out that for for movie fans, uh, Sue Lyon uh, has a small role as a reporter in Alligator. And you may think, well, who is Sue Lyon? Well, Sue Lyon actually played Lolita in Stanley Kubrick's uh, Lolita, his adaptation of the uh, novel. And um, Alligator was her last movie. Uh, she, trying to remember, um, she she actually died a few years ago, but looking at her filmography, uh, I think Alligator was her last movie. So um thought that was interesting. and I, and I realized it was her. I had never noticed it before until it just happened that about, I don't know, a week before I went to see Alligator, I was watching something about Stanley Kubrick. And there were some photos of Sue Lyon. And sure enough, when we went to the movie, when I went to the movie on Tuesday to see Alligator, I was looking at the credits and I saw her name and thought, well, that's interesting. I didn't even realize she was in the movie. And then I looked and sure enough, she was, uh, she was the reporter. But yeah, she was best known for playing Lolita in, uh, Stanley Kubrick's adaptation of that novel. So, uh, I think I've said everything that uh, I was going to say. It's, you know, I got to say, it's, it's really a challenge talking about movies when I don't have Garrett here, um, you know, but uh, hopefully we'll rectify that in, in future episodes. But I highly encourage that you check out uh, Alligator if you haven't seen it. If you have seen it, it certainly deserves rewatching. watching uh, There was uh, a sequel of sorts that came out in 1990, called alligator Two: the mutation. Uh, I don't recommend that movie. Um, it does have, uh, some, some good names. Uh, there's, uh, Joseph Bologna D Wallace, who's a favorite of mine. Love D Wallace, uh, is in it. She, um, is also starring with Richard Lynch, who was another great actor from, from the seventies. Um, was always playing like these perfect villains, Uh, Steve Railsback was in it, and uh, a few others. But I don't recommend uh, Alligator Two. It's just it just doesn't quite. It doesn't have any of the humor or the charm uh, or the wit that the original one did. So stick with the original, and I think you'll be uh, you'll be doing just fine. Now we're gonna shift gears and talk about the second part of this double creature feature, and that is from 1985, Silver Bullet. Silver Bullet is uh, special, I would say, to to Garrett and me. And you're going to hear from Garrett in a little bit. He's going to share his thoughts about the movie. Uh, This was something, uh, a movie that has long been a favorite of mine, uh, primarily because it was inspired by a a Stephen King uh, novella known as uh, Cycle of the Werewolf. And when Garrett and I went to Alamo to uh, see Silver Bullet, we actually uh, were treated to um, a guest speaker, uh, someone who I think works for Alamo and has been touring with Silver Bullet around the country to all the Alamo draft houses. Uh, And he was basically talking about the movie, providing an introduction to it, Uh, as part of Alamo's Terror Tuesday series. And this gentleman, his name escapes me right now, but uh, he's a writer and he had uh, written a graphic novel uh, about werewolves. And so this is a subject that's near and dear to him. Uh, But he was sharing some of the backstory of the movie. And this was something interesting to me, is that uh, the book... Or actually began as an idea that comic book artist Bernie Wrightson had pitched to Stephen King. Uh, and the idea was this. Wrightson wanted to create a calendar, a horror calendar, where each month there would be on this calendar a new image, but it would essentially tell a story over the course of a year. And so Wrightson was saying to King, you know, I think it would be great if you just added like a paragraph or two for each month that kind of tells the story over the course of the year. Well, uh, as, as the guest speaker uh, mentioned, and, and I'm inclined to agree, uh, asking Stephen King just to write a few paragraphs um, is just not possible. He's going to wind up producing way more. And sure enough, uh, he developed this novella so definitely not a calendar, but he kept the concept of a story that spans over the course of a year, and the movie Silver Bullet follows that more or less, where every month this werewolf appears and starts picking off locals in the small town of Tarker's Mills, and so I was a fan of the novella and of course I'm a big fan of Bernie Wrightson. I was actually able to meet him a few years before he passed away uh, because he was one of my favorite comic book artists growing up. Um, He created Swamp Thing or co-created Swamp Thing. Uh, He also did a beautiful illustrated novel edition of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. In fact, uh, I have, um, Somewhere around here, I have a copy, of first printing of that graphic um, novel, that illustrated novel that he autographed for me, and I got to act like a total geek in front of him and just say just how much I loved his artwork and how he was one of the few artists that I could just look at his work for hours just to soak in all the details, but that seemed to make him, he seemed to, to be really glad to hear that. He smiled real big when I said that. Um, anyway... Uh, so the artwork in cycle of the werewolf is really, really good, um, because it's Bernie Wrights and art, but the story was also really good. And of course this was at a time where anything Stephen King wrote, Hollywood would snap it up and develop it into a movie or a TV show. And so this was certainly the case, uh, with, with silver bullet. Um, so this was also uh, a movie that Stephen King wrote the screenplay for Silver Bullet. And I think that's part of the reason why I feel like this movie feels the most Stephen Uh, King-like. Sometimes with his adaptations, I think his voice and his kind of tone gets a little diminished or it gets, I don't know, it just kind of gets washed down some. So this was the, this was a movie adaptation where I felt like yeah, this this feels like a Stephen King novel, or this feels feels like a Stephen King story. So, uh, really great, um, a very eclectic cast. Uh, <laughs> uh, of course, the the main characters you have Gary Busey, who is just has pulls out all the stops in this performance. He's great in it. Uh, a young Corey Haim. In fact, I think this was one of Corey Haim's early movies. I um, don't know if it was his first, but it certainly was one of his first. Uh, Garrett and I both commented while we were watching the movie, it was kind of sad seeing Corey Haim in this because he was so young. And of course it was before all of the troubles that he had later in life. Um, and he just gives a really earnest, very sweet performance in this movie. Uh, Terry O'Quinn, who is another favorite of mine from Lost and a television show on Amazon called Patriot. He also did another show, that was not seen by many people called Perpetual Grace Limited. But Terry O'Quinn, in fact, you horror fans will remember Terry O'Quinn. He was the original stepfather in the movie The Stepfather from the 80s. Uh, he's in this playing the sheriff. And uh, a favorite of Garrett and mine, um, Bill Smitrovich is in this. Um, and Everett McGill, who plays the local pastor, and uh, that's all I'll say about him. Uh, he's in this and he's always great at playing all kinds of different characters. And then fans of Reservoir Dogs, Quentin Tarantino's movie, will be pleased to know that Lawrence Tierney is in Silver Bullet. He was also in um, Reservoir Dogs. So this is, um, this movie came out at a time when there were some werewolf movies that had come out, I think, uh, prior to. Silver Bullet. Uh, there was The Howling, uh, which uh, starred uh, D. Wallace. It was from 1981. It was a Joe Dante film. Uh, there was also another film called Wolfen, which I think Albert Finney was in that one. And so Silver Bullet uh, was was a movie that obviously, you know, there's a lot of heat on it because it was a Stephen King property. It had a pretty decent cast like some of the movies that we've covered before on the podcast, this was a movie that was shot here in North Carolina in Wilmington. And I know Garrett will talk a little bit about that. Um, He's been able to find some of the movie locations that are still standing uh, in, in and around Wilmington. And uh, there's a town outside of Wilmington called Burgaw where some of Silver Bullet was shot. He'll talk more about that in a minute. Uh, So these movies are really near and dear to us because one they came out at a time where horror movies were like really big uh for us in the 80s it was shot in our home state uh and, and best of all it was shot in wilmington which is one of our favorite places in the state so a lot of fondness for this movie um does it hold up uh, to today's standards um I think it, it, for its time, it was a decent horror movie. It had a little bit of money behind it. Uh, by today's standards, the special effects are kind of 80s special effects. But in spite of that, this is a very entertaining film. Uh, there are some moments that are really funny. There are some moments that are really nerve-wracking and um, very tense. Um, and I think at the end of the day, it is a very... Uh, serviceable, very entertaining werewolf story, uh, as only Stephen King can tell them. Uh, So uh, seeing it at Alamo was just such a great experience, and I think Garrett touches on this, uh, but the guest speaker who introduced the movie, he asked for a show of hands of people who had never seen Silver Bullet, and surprisingly, a lot of people raised their hands. And uh, so for those of us who know this movie and have seen it, Uh, we were really excited for them. They kind of got a little bit of applause from those who have seen the movie. And the guest speaker made a comment to the effect that he was kind of envious of them because they were getting ready to see it for the first time on the big screen. Uh, And it's true. Um, After having seen it only on televisions, whether it was cable or I rented it from Blockbuster, seeing Silver Bullet on the big screen, uh, it was just... It was awesome. (laughs) It's just the only way I can describe it. Seeing these movies uh, when I couldn't see them originally on the big screen, it just feels like a nice, I don't want to say closure, but it just feels like, okay, I finally got to see this on the big screen, so I can check it off. I got to see it on the big screen. Um, There are many other movies that I would like to see on the big screen, and hopefully places like Alamo uh, and some of the local theaters around here will will indulge folks in in resurrecting some of these movies and putting them up uh, for newer audiences and kind of veteran audiences to watch and enjoy uh, for another time. So uh, if you like werewolves, if you like Stephen King, and you haven't seen Silver Bullet, you have no excuse. You need to go and find it. Um, I did not look to see where it's available on the streaming platforms. And quite honestly, I'm almost at the point where I'm not even going to recommend, you know, if I know it's on a certain platform, I, I may not mention it because usually by the time people listen to this, it may have left the platforms. So I would just encourage you either just do a Google search or you can go to a website that I think Garrett turned me on to uh, real good. That's R E E L good.com. Uh, you can type in movies uh, in that search engine and it will tell you what streaming services Uh, have that movie or TV show Um, I'm pretty sure that you can rent or buy digitally Um, I recommend if you if you like physical media and I'm going to make some racket here because I'm moving some stuff around to get to a catalog if you like having physical media like a DVD or a blu-ray and and I'm kind of I don't know, some days I'm kind of like, yeah, I want all the DVDs. And then others, I'm like, no, I'll just stick with the digital. Uh, There is a company called Critics' Choice Video. Uh, I signed up and I get their catalog periodically. They've got really good prices on their movies. They usually have free shipping if you buy 25 bucks or more. They don't sponsor the podcast. I'm just putting that out there as a movie fan. I, I love their service. Uh, I found out about them through a, another podcast that I listened to, and uh, I've ordered a couple of things from them, some old movies, and it does not disappoint. It's a great service if you if you like um, having a DVD uh, instead of just getting something digitally. I need to look on here and see if they have. I'll have to go on their website because the catalog is just kind of like the latest offerings that they're promoting. But uh, I have to check their website. I'm pretty sure they have. I mean, I, in all the times I've gone to Critics' Choice uh, website, that I haven't stumped them yet. I haven't list, you know, put in a movie that they don't have. So I uh, highly recommend them if you want to get a copy of Silver Bullet. And so with that, I think I'm going to hand it over to Garrett, and he's going to share with you his thoughts about Silver Bullet.
1: Alright, this is Garrett from All Things Addies with Garrett and the other half of the Midnight Movie Snack Podcast. Uh, my, I'm sure Chris has already done a great introduction and a great recap of, of the movie when we went to see it the other night at the Alamo. Uh, this will be my take on some things. First of all, I just want to thank Chris for, for uh, not only seeing it, but inviting me and, and, and working this out that we could go see it on the big screen. And that's probably, that's, that's number one right there, is the fact, this is this was our first time seeing it on the big screen, uh, and that was just, in itself, is just so cool. Seeing seeing the movie, Silver Bullet on the big screen, it was just amazing. Uh, we've seen a lot of movies lately that we have not, that we didn't get to see. We saw like Purple Rain, we've seen Jaws. There's, there's, there's I think there's a couple more, but those are the two that come to mind that we've that Chris and I've seen in the last couple of years that we that we got to see on the big screen that we may have saw on HBO, may have obviously rented on VHS tape or Betamax even, but to actually see this on the big screen is just which is too cool. Uh, my other observation from the movie was just how much fun it was seeing it with a group of like of other Silver Bullet fans. And there were some people that had never even seen the movie. Uh, there was like a show of hands at the beginning. And so like that was cool to see. Some people had a, obviously had a fresh approach on watching it. Never have seen it before. And obviously there's some parts in the movie that were... That are, you know, obviously 1984, 85 special effects. And, you know, so some of the movie's a little bit cheesy if you're looking at some... If you're looking at it through modern lens looking back. But it really does hold up that's one thing i can say it's like as a whole i mean the story is good i think i I think that's what makes this kind of a. don't know if it's a cult classic but it's kind of an underdog cult classic for sure it just has this it has a good heart to it it's got it's it's kind of like what i want to look at as like the black phone it's like a horror movie with a little bit of heart and obviously younger kids is kind of like the central focus on some of the some of the deal I think it's kind of like I really want to compare it to that and I know I've, I'm, I've I'm, I'm a little bit biased for the for the black phone as well since that was also filmed in Wilmington and that's something I haven't brought up yet but Silver Bullet was filmed in the Wilmington Burgall area and that Chris and I are being from North Carolina I'm sure he's already mentioned this but just being that you know it's our home state and and then I've done a lot of I've well, I've been to about every location in the movie Silver Bullet, and I've done like film location videos on YouTube and that kind of stuff. But and I and and for my part, I was telling Chris, I said I've watched this movie so many times, just in the sense of like like looking for details and trying to figure out where a location was or something like that. I've paid so much attention to that. Sometimes. You lose sight of how much fun and how enjo- how much how much enjoyment that you get out of the movie, and watching it on the big screen, watching it with Chris, watching it enough with the audience full of fans and some new fans, was just like refreshing. It's just like it was, it was it, it, it's, it's seeing it through a new set of a new set of lens. It's uh, I showed I showed the movie about a year ago to my oldest son and one of his friends and this it was their first time seeing it and they were it was fun watching them watch the movie because i i take for granted that i understand that i know who the i know who the werewolf is in the movie but they didn't know who the werewolf was and they're watching it and they're trying to figure out who the werewolf is and i'm just like Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like, I take it for granted because I've seen it so many times and I know, but I saw it about, I saw it about when I was their age. I, I don't remember if I saw, I think I, I think I saw it on, I think I saw it on VHS first before I saw it on on HBO and I've, I had a copy, I used to do the whole, I would, play one, I would play one VCR and I had another VCR and I would record and I remember I had a copy of Silver Bullet so I know I so I know I had rented it and I had recorded it But it was just fun to watch it through their eyes and that's what the movie Like for me in that that was one of the things I took away from this It was just that it just like it was just a it, ref, it was just it was just refreshing. It was just a cool. It's just a very cool experience uh, And it's just like if, I mean in one way I felt like I was like 13 or 14 again watching this for the first time and it just gave it just it just gave it a whole new you know like fresh perspective. It just it was just really it was just really cool. And then and obviously watching it with Chris and even though Chris and I didn't watch it together at that at that time frame, but it was just cool that I watched it with him. and we just had a just had a great time. And there are so many parts that just made us that made us laugh, and the parts that were just like that's really cool. One of the things that I did notice that I've, I've watched this movie so many times, like I said, and. I've paid so much attention to the detail and I feel like that I could tell y'all kind of like little stupid details probably about the movie. But one thing I noticed and this is this was cool that I noticed for the very first time when Uncle Red and Jane and Marty after they have a little conversation on the courthouse square there in Burgall they go to the church and they're watching they're watching Reverend Lowe paint the he's painting the the thermostats the, and they're raising money for the can the the, the med the medivan the medevac or whatever it is drive whatever that's called and and he's and he's he's asking him like do you see your werewolf or you see your killer or something and he goes yep sure do and you can hear Reverend Lowe whistling in the in the background when he's when he's painting he's painting the uh, the, in front of the church, on the sign, he's, he's he's whistling. I've never caught that in watching it on DVD or VHS. I never I never had caught that, and that was just something that I was like. So seeing it, even for the probably the I don't know, it could be the 400th time. I don't know how many times I've seen it. I still I still saw something new in it, and I was and again that was kind of like that was a nice, it's a really nice touch. And the other one that was just i thought was kind of there's two there's there's two more things i one i just i had uh i was telling chris this like right before the movie that i I think i figured out where when when marty takes this when when uncle red gives him the, the gives him the new deluxe ultra super or silver bullet and he takes off and uncle red's like like supposedly like he's watching from the from the house and he's like making all these, you know, oh, no, and all this kind of stuff like that. He's going down, he's going down a road, and I think I figured out where that road is. And it's one of the, I mean, it's a very small scene. It's very short, but it's one of those things that I just figured that out where, just figured out where that location was just recently. And just actually, it was a was about a day before seeing the movie. So it was just kind of cool to actually uh, watch that scene happen on the big screen. And I'll try to get a video about that at some point in time together. And the other thing that was just funny that I've that I've always kind of thought this thought is hilarious. And if you listen to our original podcast on the movie, and I made a I made a point of it at some at least in one of my videos on the kite scenes is when When Brady's flying his kite and it the it's the yellow one with the smiley face is that you know you can see the you can see the There's a string holding it up from above, and it's even more. And it's it's pretty obvious on DVD, but it's even more obvious on the big screen. It was just like, so that was kind of funny. That was thought that was, that was pretty good. But that was my take on 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 the movie. Like I said again, just enjoyed and just enjoyed it. And again, thanks Chris for setting all that up and and making sure I had an invite and and that we went. That was just. I said it's just a great experience and hopefully the I don't know if it's the 30 36 37, I don't know which, which one's coming up anniversary for the movie maybe it's 38 maybe it's 38 anniversary I don't know but I try to well I know I've talked to uh, Dale who is one of the one of the guys who's found the majority of the film locations. For the movie, and to uh, the guy who runs uh, the silver the official Silver Bullet Facebook group, as well, and I want to try to get we'll try to get both those guys on, and just have a conversation about the movie, and maybe maybe we had that done before, maybe how we can we can we can release it on the anniversary, uh, this upcoming anniversary. But I've been we've been meaning to have them on, and just talk about the movie talk about some locations just talk about the impact that it's had and just how much we love you know just a fandom of, of silver bullet and so that's my take again I'm gonna, I'm gonna pass it back to chris but thanks again chris and i think and i thank all you guys for, for for listening and and for supporting the podcast i, I we, we greatly appreciate it all right chris it's, it's, it's over to you buddy.
0: Did anyone notice how Garrett must have been walking outside because I was hearing crickets while he was talking, which I thought was so perfect for talking about silver bullet being out at night with the crickets in the background. And if he had just added a a wolf howl, it would have been perfect. Um, But yeah, thanks Garrett. I appreciate you taking the time to share your thoughts and yeah. um, I'm so glad you were able to go. Um, Always. You know I tell folks that uh, not only is Garrett my uh, brother from another mother, he is definitely without a doubt the best movie buddy to go see a movie with. Um, just always a good time. so I'm glad we got to do this and I hope uh, we're able to catch some more movies uh, on the big screen. I would love to see maximum overdrive on the big screen so hopefully Alamo or some theater in this area will uh, will show it. I know I think Garrett's seen it on the big screen or he's seen it like a uh, public showing of it somewhere down around wilmington he can uh, he can help uh, add those details when we when we are on the podcast together at the same time next time uh so yeah so thanks for joining us uh, this week for this uh double creature feature with alligator and silver bullet uh it, it was a blast watching these movies and we highly recommend if you haven't seen them to check them out and if you have seen them tell us what you think about it Uh, Tell us what you think about Alligator and Silver Bullet. You can contact us on Instagram at the Midnight Movie Snack Podcast. You can always go there to find out kind of the latest and greatest, what we have next in store. Uh, Garrett and I need to talk about what we're going to be doing in the next couple of weeks. Uh, But for now, thanks for listening. We will talk to you soon. And until then, I would have no idea what I was just going to (laughs) say. there i don't have a script i'm just flying solo tonight um no thanks for listening everybody and i hope you have a great weekend and watch some movies all right i can think of two that you can watch um but uh, watch the movies and have a good time uh until next time i'm chris and you've been listening to the midnight movie snack podcast
1: looking at the one who saw it. And it was big.
0: You said it was dark. Now, perhaps you were mistaken. An alligator half that size would starve in a week.
1: He kept coming up with some garbage about alligators in the sewers. Alligators? Sewer. Once it escaped,
0: there was no way to stop it. No! No! The safety
1: of the public is my job. It could be anywhere. There he is.
0: Ready to attack at any moment.
1: I've seen what this
0: animal can do. You'd better take all the help you can get. believed it. <laughs> no,
1: no one will forget. It. Alligator. It began in May. And every month after that, whenever the moon was full. It happened again. And again.
0: What was that? What's over there? that at me?
1: Nobody knew who... ...or what was responsible. Come on. They only knew it had to be stopped. Now. From the
0: master of mystery and suspense,
1: Stephen Jones Silver Bullet Silver Bullet, the last glimmering hope.